0: chapter sixteen of gossip in the first decade of victoria's reign by john ashton this LibriVox recording is in the public domain chapter sixteen story of an irish informer steam cars sale of vauxhall gardens first jewish baronet new railways opened high tide fire at the tower birth of the prince of wales his patent as such the thames at length tunnelled antiquities found in royal exchange we have known something about irish crime but the following true tale takes a lot of beating on the last day of the Clonmel assizes in july judge torrens heard a case of arson in which the prisoners who were four in number were all acquitted after a trial which lasted eight hours the principal witness for the prosecution was an approver named Lizet, and in all the annals of informers it would be extremely difficult to find a parallel to this same Lyzett, indeed the admission by the crown of the testimony of such a miscreant in the matter of life or death appears to be highly reprehensible as the following abstract of his evidence will plainly evince. john lysett examined i remember the time when walsh's house was burnt anthony ryan came to me before the house was burned to borrow a gun i brought it to him on a monday night and he told me to come with him to mccarthy's house who wanted to see me i went to mccarthy's and near his place was an old house in which some of our party were assembled mccarthy brought some bread and spirits and we took share of it mccarthy asked me if i would go with the men to frighten walsh and burn the house i promised to do so and he then furnished us with powder and ball we went down to the riverside and mccarthy gave his pistols and seven and six in money to anthony ryan He gave me some powder flax and something like saltpetre and showed me by putting some powder into the pan and snapping it how the flax was to be lighted mccarthy then parted with us and we after eating the bread and meat went to walsh's i lighted the tow and patty ryan put the fire into the roof i and two of the party then went and stood sentry near the road after a time i heard a noise and ran back to give an alarm we then left and went by tomb homewards and separated near marshall's gate this was about three or four in the morning i and patty ryan had shotguns ned ryan had a long one darby ryan a bayonet on a pole and the two ryan's had mccarthy's pistols we left the house after it was in flames i knew a man named brian noonan he is dead judge torrens was it you murdered noonan witness no i joined in it Mr. Hatchell, how many men did you murder before this? Witness none you say it was Anthony Ryan went to you to get the gun. It was he has since been transported. Yes, you went with the party to the burning for the love of amusement. They induced me to go with them, but did not force me. I was not very unwilling to go after getting the liquor, but when I brought the gun had no such intention. Did you load the gun before you went out? I did had you liberty to carry a gun yes from a magistrate mr coates who is since dead were you ever tried before you committed the murder on noonan indeed i was i was tried before for posting a threatening notice but it was no such thing were you not sentenced to be transported i was did you not fire shots at the same time yes judge torrens and the reward you gave the government for bringing you back was murdering noonan mr hatchell was not your brother caravat tried yes you say you were only present at the murder of noonan now was it not you who knocked down the unfortunate man with the butt-end of a blunderbuss yes the very first sensation and you don't call that murdering the man we were all murdering him were you not one of the men who carried him into the ditch to hide the body i was where is your brother the caravat i don't know was he at the burning of walsh's house no did you know leonard the smith i did did you see him killed i saw him struck but was not looking on at his killing did you give him a blow then i did not strike a blow at the man did you give a blow that day yes when myself was struck do you remember watt hayes yes you attacked him but he shot you off no he did not was not one of your companions shot by mr hayes no but a man near me now tell me did he not kill one of your friends oh he had a party against us and waylaid us did you remember jemmy hughes who was killed with a hatchet i did were you not looking at his murder oh no he was married to my first cousin were you not taxed with the murder the whole country knew who was in that affair you recollect david hickey who was killed at belboa i was at the fair you were of the party i was looking at him that was your third murder a juror his fifth murder did you rob michael rogers no but i got the course of law and was acquitted you knew mick griffin lord stadbroke's herd. i heard he was shot was your brother Caravat accused of this business no i never heard of it did you not say you would put a rope about mccarthy's neck i did not i remember when kennedy was put out of possession mccarthy's cattle and premises were burned after this but the country say it was himself did it i never asked a farm of lord stadbrook but my father or brothers might i never heard that mccarthy prevented us getting the farm on the ground of our being so bad do you remember you and your uncle carrying away a woman i do your uncle was transported. He was so you have been guilty of one abduction, five murders, and one burning. What else did you do? Would you suggest any other crime in the catalogue of which you were not guilty? Judge Torrens, did you commit a rape? No, Mr. Hatchell, were any of your brothers convicted of a rape? Yes, were you not charged with holding the unfortunate woman while your brother committed the rape? No, but another brother was judge torrens did you steal cattle no mr hatchell that would be too shabby an offence when you came to walsh's house you lifted one of the ryans up on the roof yes and you lit the fire i did did you know there were women in the house i partly guessed there were did you mind how many innocent people might have been burned i did not care great sensation judge and counsel with great disgust ordered the wretch off the table in these days of motor-cars any gossip about their progenitors must be of interest on seven august a steam-carriage carrying sixteen persons belonging to the general steam company was tried between the york and albany regent's park and the manor-house at tottenham i e along the camden road to finsbury park doing the distance in rather less than half an hour another ran on thirteenth september from deptford to sevenoaks about twenty-one miles in two hours thirty-seven minutes but there were small accidents by the way later on in the month the first named carriage performed about windsor frogmore and datchet and frequently reached a speed of eighteen to twenty miles an hour and on october one it was shown to the queen and prince albert the latter expressing himself highly pleased with it it then did only sixteen miles an hour on nine september vauxhall gardens which had been a place of amusement since the time of charles I, were sold for twenty thousand pounds in punch of fourteen august we find a sad account of a last visit impelled by a sense of duty we wended our way to the royal property to take a last look at the long expiring gardens footnote it was held copyhold of the queen as lord of the manor End note. it was a wet night the lamps burnt dimly the military band played in the minor key the waiters stalked about so silent melancholy a tread that we took their towels for pocket-handkerchiefs the concert in the open rain went off tamely dirge-like in spite of the siege of Accra, which was described in a set of quadrilles embellished with blue fire and maroons and adorned with a dozen double drums thumped at intervals like death notes in various parts of the doomed gardens the divertissement was anything but diverting when we reflected upon the impending fate of the rotunda in which it was performed no such damp was however thrown over the evolutions of duckrow's beautiful horses and equestrian artistes including the new grand entrée and cavalcade of amazons they had no sympathy with the decline and fall of the simpsonian empire footnote mr simpson had been a famous master of the ceremonies End note they were strangers interlopers called in like mutes and feathers to grace the funeral show to give a more graceful flourish to the final exit the horses pawed the sawdust evidently unconscious that the earth it covered would soon be let on lease for building-ground the riders seemed in the heyday of their equestrian triumph let them however derive from the fate of vauxhall a deep a fearful lesson though we shudder as we write it shall not be said that destruction came upon them unawares that no warning voice had been raised that even the squeak of punch was silent let them not sneer and call us superstitious we do not give credence to supernatural agency as a fixed and general principle but we did believe in simpson and we stake our professional reputation upon widdicombe Footnote Ringmaster at Astley's end note, That Vauxhall Gardens were under the special protection of, that they drew the very breath of their attractiveness from the ceremonial Simpson, who can deny? When he flitted from walk to walk, from box to box, and welcomed everybody to the royal property, right royally did things go on. Who could then have dreamt that the illustrious George footnote george robbins a famous auctioneer he of the piazza would ever be honoured with instructions to sell that his eulogistic pen would be employed in giving the puff superlative to the elysian haunts of Kwandong fashion in other words painting the lily gilding refined gold but alas simpson the tutelar deity departed died some say but we don't believe it and at the moment he made his last bow vauxhall ought to have been closed it was madness the madness which will call us peradventure superstitious which kept the gates open when simpson's career closed it was an anomaly for like love and heaven simpson was vauxhall and vauxhall was simpson let Ducro reflect upon these things we dare not speak out but a tutelar being watches over and giveth vitality to his arena his ring is he may rely upon it a fairy one while that mysterious being dances and prances in it all will go well his horses will not stumble never will his clowns forget a syllable of their antiquated jokes oh let him then whilst seriously reflecting upon simpson and the fate of vauxhall give good heed unto the methuselah who hath already passed his second centenary in the circle These were our awful reflections while viewing the scenes in the circle very properly constructed in the rotunda. They overpowered us. We dared not stay to see the fireworks in the midst of which Signora Rossini was to make her terrific ascent and descent on a rope three hundred feet high. She might have been the sprite of Madame Sacqui. A famous rope dancer. In fact, the Vauxhall papers published in the gardens put forth a legend which favours such a dreadful supposition. We refer our readers to them, they are only sixpence apiece. Of course, the gardens were full in spite of the weather, for what must be the callousness of that man who could let the gardens pass under the hammer of George Robbins without bidding them an affectionate farewell? Good gracious, we can hardly believe such insensibility does exist hasten then dear readers as you would fly to catch the expiring sigh of a fine old boon companion hasten to take your parting slice of ham your last bowl of arrack, even now while the great auctioneer says going on twenty-four august sir j l goldschmidt was made a baronet and was the first jewish gentleman who ever received that title perhaps it is not generally known that an honour not much inferior had once very nearly fallen to the lot of a brother israelite at one of those festive meetings at Carlton house in which george the fourth sometimes allowed a few of his most favoured subjects to participate mr braham was introduced to sing his then newly composed song a bumper of burgundy when the gratified monarch rising from his chair was with difficulty restrained from conferring immediate knighthood on the flattered musician three well-known railways were opened this year the great western from london to bristol on thirty june the london and blackwall on two august and the london and brighton on twenty-one september on eighteen october was a remarkably high tide in the thames which did an immense amount of damage this and another event were celebrated in a contemporary ballad beginning there's lately been a great high tide nor can it be surprising when everything is getting dear that water should be rising and after dealing with that event in a very witty manner it went on the tower of london envying father thames's notoriety resolved to have a flare-up and be talked of in society ten thousand guns were fired at once with very few escapers but though no one heard the great report there was one in the papers this terrible conflagration was first noticed about half-past ten on the night of thirty one october by a sentinel on duty on the terrace near the jewel office whose attention was attracted to a glimmering light under the cupola of the round or bower tower which was close to the armory in which was deposited an immense amount of stores such as muskets etc and many priceless trophies of war when the sentinel found the light increased he gave the alarm by firing his musket and the whole of the garrison officers and men turned out but the fire had got so great a hold that before a sufficient supply of water could be obtained the entire roof of the armory was in flames unfortunately it was low tide in the thames and although the fire engines soon arrived and there were the garrison and two hundred and fifty policemen to render assistance the flames spread rapidly so fast indeed that the only things then got out and saved were the duke of york's sword and belt and a beautiful maltese gun The grand staircase of this armory was considered one of the finest in Europe, and the following is a contemporary description of it. In a recess in the landing was a platform supported on eight brass six-pounder guns taken at Waterloo, and which served as pillars. On this was a splendid trophy, consisting of arms and weapons, ancient and modern, comprising nearly two hundred varieties, and nearly all differing in form or pattern in the centre was a marble bust of william the fourth upon the walls at the sides were two large stars formed of swords and their brass scabbards bayonets and pistols one representing the star of the garter and the other of the bath also two figures in gilt suits of armour on ornamented pedestals the rails of the stairs and the cornice of the ceiling were ornamented with architectural figures curiously formed with arms below upon pedestals were two very striking groups one representing a knight in gilt armour preparing for action attended by his squire who was in the act of buckling on his spurs and a pikeman with his eighteen feet pike the other group was a knight in a handsome suit of bright armour of the time of elizabeth in action having seized a banner from the enemy waving his followers on on each side of the entrance door was a knight in a suit of gilt armour and two others similarly clad stood on brackets the whole of these were destroyed with the exception of the waterloo cannon the fire was soon perilously near the jewel office which was scorching hot yet mr swift the keeper of the jewels saved the whole of the regalia down to the minutest article and was earnestly begged to retire and leave the last thing a huge silver wine fountain to its fate but he would not and this also was salved then mr swift was nothing slow the crown and jewels saving and to get the great wine cooler out great danger he was braving now mr swift of all the wine should now be made the ruler for while the fire was getting hotter he was getting the wine cooler there was an awful scare as to the chance of the store of gunpowder catching a light but four hundred barrels of powder and two hundred boxes of grenades and ball cartridges were removed to the magazine and the remainder was thrown into the moat on the eighth december the general public were allowed to inspect the ruins and to purchase mementos of the fire the prices were sixpence for a half-dozen gun-flints and the same amount for a few burnt percussion caps pieces of fused iron and arms went at prices varying from one shilling to twenty shillings the latter the maximum price for many years i had a fused cavalry pistol and some calcined flints which were very pretty the fused cannon were sold as old metal on the ninth november his majesty edward the seventh was born and on the eighth december was created prince of wales his patent is as follows victoria by the grace of god of the united kingdom of great britain and ireland queen defender of the faith to all archbishops dukes earls viscounts bishops barons baronets knights justices provosts ministers and all other our faithful subjects greeting know ye that we have made and created and by these our letters patent do make and create our most dear son the prince of the united kingdom of great britain and ireland duke of saxony duke of cornwall and Rotsay, earl of carrick baron rinfew lord of the isles and great steward of scotland prince of wales and earl of chester and to the same our most dear son the prince of the united kingdom of great britain and ireland have given and granted and by this our present charter do give grant and confirm the name style title dignity and honour of the same principality and earldom and him our said most dear son the prince of the united kingdom of great britain and ireland as has been accustomed we do ennoble and invest with the said principality and earldom by girting him with a sword by putting a coronet on his head and a gold ring on his finger and also by delivering a gold rod into his hand that he may preside there and may direct and defend those parts to hold to him and his heirs kings of the united kingdom of great britain and ireland for ever wherefore we will and strictly command for us our heirs and successors that our said most dear son the prince of the united kingdom of great britain and ireland may have the name style title state dignity and honour of the principality of wales and earldom of chester aforesaid unto him and his heirs kings of the united kingdom of great britain and ireland as is above mentioned in witness whereof we have caused these our letters to be made patent witness ourself at westminster this eighth of december eighteen forty one by the queen herself edmonds we read in the times of twenty five november anent the thames tunnel that a thoroughfare was yesterday effected in this work and made use of for the first time by the whole of the directors and some of the original subscribers who had assembled upon the occasion the shield having been advanced to the shaft at wapping a considerable opening was cut in the brickwork and it was through this the party who had met at roterite were enabled to pass thus opening the first subterranean communication between the opposite shores of the river upon their arrival at the shaft the party was greeted by the workmen with most hearty cheers a curious and interesting incident was connected with the event a few bottles of wine preserved since the dinner given on the occasion when the foundation-stone was laid with the understanding that it was to be drunk only when it could be carried under the thames having been opened and enjoyed by the company to the health of her majesty and the infant prince it was remarked too as a singular coincidence that a seal on one of the corks bore the impress of the prince of wales feathers a circumstance that caused some merriment the engineer sir i brunel appeared highly gratified at the happy result of his past anxiety and arduous labour the shield will continue its advance until it has afforded space for the formation of the remainder of the tunnel which is expected to be completed in about three weeks by the end of the year the foundations of the new royal exchange were dug out and concreted and as it was always anticipated that some important discoveries might take place in the course of the excavation proper arrangements were made on the commencement of the work that any articles of interest which might be disinterred should be secured for the gresham committee in the specification for the works issued in eighteen forty the contractor and excavator were required in taking out the soil to deliver up any plate coins antiquities or curiosities whether in metal or otherwise or any carved stones or carvings in marble pottery terra-cotta or tesserae, which may be found in the course of the excavations it being understood that all such matters or things are to be taken up with all requisite care and are to remain the property of the gresham committee they found a portion of a roman building but the greatest hall was in an old gravel pit some fifty feet by thirty-four filled with hardened mud in which were contained considerable quantities of animal and vegetable remains apparently the discarded refuse of the inhabitants of the vicinity in the same depository were also found very numerous fragments of the red roman pottery usually called samian ware pieces of glass vessels broken terra-cotta lamps parts of amphorae mortaria and other articles made of earth and all the rubbish which might naturally become accumulated in a pond in the course of years in this mass likewise occurred a number of imperial roman coins several bronze and iron styles parts of writing tablets a bathers striggle, a large quantity of caligus soles sandals and remains of leather all of which can now be seen in the highly interesting museum of the corporation of the city of london at the guildhall End of chapter sixteen